the diamond, I realized The Empathy Museum presents A Mile in My Shoes. I'm holding a pair of size four patent leather Italian made loafers. Bella. I don't know if this shoe would be in a band or be a, a politician, a groovy politician. Sassy. This shoe's sassy. And it's got a lovely sort of silver clasp on the front. They're, they're classy, but they're, you know, they're stylish as well. Elegant, but, but fun. These shoes are made to walk on marble and go through oak doors. These shoes make decisions somewhere. They're powerful, powerful shoes. These shoes belong to Margaret Watroba. This is her story. My name is Margaret Watroba. I am an electrical engineer. And as far as the passion in life is concerned, I am a mountaineer. I started climbing or actually trekking when I was very, very young about eight, nine, ten years old, with my father and my twin sister. We trek not in high mountains, because we were living in Poland, so nothing higher than probably 2,000 meters. And uh, every holidays we spent in the mountains. And I fall in love. I just fall in love with being in that environment, walking through the trees and forest and going up and down and being stuck overnight. I also read a lot of books about mountains and uh, Andes, um, Himalayas, and this dream started in my head that at least I would like to see Andes and Himalayas. So one day, when I was about 12, I asked my father, how about going on holidays overseas? And uh, I remember my father was sitting (laughs) at the table and said to me, oh dear child, you know, it's not that easy because to go overseas we have to have passports and uh, authorities in Poland probably won't give us the passport and I remember, I really vividly remember, I was absolutely stunned. I didn't answer to my father, I didn't say anything in my head. I said, well, if that's the case, I just don't want to live here. That was the moment of realization that something is here wrong. Before that, I didn't uh, realize that there are any restrictions. But of course, as I grew up, I knew that, yes, one thing was that you couldn't really go overseas. You couldn't have easily a telephone at home. And that went on and on. When by the time I was like 18, I saw strikes in Poland and people were quietly talking about things because, of course, that was never, ever reported on the news. And I realized that there was no freedom of speech, no freedom of of writing, and it was always, please don't talk about this among your friends. I loved science. I always loved physics, maths. I wanted to be actually a physicist. So I think the closest to being a scientist in physics, um, and I was dreaming on nuclear physics, was to be electrical engineer. I loved my work, absolutely loved my work um, in Poland, and especially in Australia, when I could join uh, consulting businesses, where I was on project, when I could travel, uh, when I could uh, be, you know, could see how the project develops and what I, ca- what I can do. Uh, yeah, uh, fantastic, fantastic job. 
even I realized at the age of 12 that uh, Poland has got those restrictions. Of course, I didn't leave Poland immediately after that. I was still a child. The first opportunity came when I already was married and we had uh, two little girls at that stage. And I was keeping an eye what's going on overseas and the news came that Australia was taking migrants and that we have to go to Austria. And there was what they called Australian mission. And we can report to them, find them, and that's it. We will be taken. <laughs> so we didn't tell anybody that we planning this. So first we had to apply for a passport, which was a long waiting thing. So then we packed children. We didn't tell them anything. We said we're going to visit auntie. Uh, we couldn't take much. We took our documents, which was a big deal, because if the authority found our passports, birth certificates, marriage certificate, our degrees from the university, immediately they would know that we are trying to escape. The week before uh, we already decided to go, my mother visited us and uh, it was really traumatic because my mom was saying, OK, so see you next weekend. And um, I thought, okay, I don't know when I will see you. And I, I, of course, we didn't tell her. I couldn't cry. I had to be strong, you know, and thinking, well, maybe I will see you, maybe I won't see you again. Which, as a matter of fact, I only saw my mom once because she then died. That was traumatic enough. And then my sister uh, sent me a letter and, and said in that letter, I told our, our father and I never saw him crying. So that was really, that was really, really hard. And then we moved to Perth. And it was quite a shock to me because Perth at the time, uh, 1988, was a big village, very quiet, big place. But one thing for Perth was I always felt living in Perth is like living at the holiday spot. Beautiful weather. Um, clean, fantastic place. 2004, I went for that first um, uh, trek in Himalayas to Gokyo and Everest Base Camp. Initially, I never ever thought I would even attempt to go to Everest. So I've been on Everest, I climbed on Everest four times. But first time I got sick and third time I got sick. Second time I summited on south side from Nepal and Fourth time, on the Tibetan side, Chinese side, I summited. So every time, uh, even when I didn't reach the summit, I was on about 8,700 meters, which is very, very, very high. But I didn't want to take any chance. The mountains, you know, has got, in my opinion, a spirit. It lets me to reach the summit. I don't conquer the mountain. I just sort of <laughs> ask mountain to you know, to allow me to go there. So it is a fantastic journey for me. The biggest part of this is also conquering yourself. When you're studying or when you're doing project, you always assist by other people. Your teacher, your boss. Some people will say, okay, this is five out of five. But another person may say, oh, this is only four out of five. However, when you're in the mountains and you go up, and you conquering your mind and body, that's it. There is no assessment other than you. And 
It's almost like torturing yourself to some extent because it is hard. This year, 2015, April, May, earthquake happened in Nepal and killed 8,000 people and immediately killed about 21 people at the base camp, Everest base camp. The earthquake created a huge avalanche which went through through the base camp and I saw as the snow of avalanche and debris were falling on us, I thought, okay, that's it. Probably I will be buried here alive. There was one moment when uh, I really thought maybe, yes. When the avalanche happened, I was in my tent, actually, and uh, I've noticed that the ground was moving in circular motion. I still didn't realize it was earthquake, but I could hear huge, deep sound, and I knew that's avalanche, so I poked my head out of the of the tent and I saw this avalanche coming towards me and like split of a second in my head calculations happened um, I, w- I knew I would be safer going to a bigger tent but I would have to run against towards the avalanche so that split of the second I thought no go behind your tent to some extent probably that saved me as well because there was a bit of protection Part of climbing or part of my makeup, I think, whatever I do, sport, um, any physical activity is, to some extent, enjoyment of that adrenaline-driven, you know, thing. Um, I wouldn't take unnecessary risk if I always look, okay, is it safe? Well, you know, safe is relative, (laughs) but uh, if you can conquer it, if you can do it, Sort of safely, yes, it's, a, it's an enormous, enormous satisfaction. Margaret's story was produced by Mary Phaeton. Her shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by the Empathy Museum's A Mile in My Shoes exhibition. The shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we're going next. <laughs>